It's The Principle with Pastor Mac, where we learn the heart of God through the mind of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am your host, Pastor Mac. Join me as we dive into the passages of Scripture and find out how principles from God's Word give us the power to overcome the problems of life. Hello, everyone. Pastor Mac here. And I just want to say it's so good to be with you again. And I don't know if you enjoy these or not, but I can tell you that I do tremendously. Um, I've made this comment before. I will make it again that I never feel more alive than when I am uh, standing or sitting with God's word in my hand and expounding from it, talking about it and trying to help someone uh, grow in their walk of grace and draw closer to the Lord. And and uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to be doing this and sharing this time with you. And thank you. Let me go ahead and thank you now for, for listening. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and thank you in advance. Thank you on faith uh, to help me share these podcasts and tell folks about them. And, and uh, I want to invite you to join me on this journey. Let's see where this thing goes, uh, because I, I just really, I really want to use this time. Not that I think I have all the answers in life and that I think I've got it all put together. Lord, I'm dealing with the mistakes I'm making now, you know, and, and, uh, so I'm not, I'm not perfect. Don't have all the answers, but I think together we can find answers in life. Maybe not all the answers, but I think together we can find answers and find answers for me and find answers for you and, and we can grow together. And so I want to, uh, so I want to continue on with this idea of, you know, it's the principle and talk about principles of life and, I want to continue on going back to the book of Genesis uh, as, as I, and believe me, I will go other places. I promise you, um, I'm not always going to be in Genesis. Uh, but as, a, as I've been thinking about how this show is going to evolve and where it's going, I, I want to start with, you know, taking some time over Lord knows however long I'm going to do this. Um, start with going straight from the word, because as a minister of the gospel, if it's not from the word or, or based on the word, then I'm really in trouble. Because uh, if you're waiting for me to have all the answers in life, boy, you are up a creek without a paddle. So, um, so I want to go back to Genesis, and I want to look at uh, another passage of scripture, and and try to try to maybe open your eyes about an aspect of God that I think the world gets wrong in a lot of ways. I think they get it wrong in a lot of ways. Uh, well, I think the world gets God wrong in a lot of ways. Um, in fact, one of the things I've heard one time, I heard a preacher say one time that one of the problems with people and one of the problems with the church is that we take ourselves far too seriously and God not seriously enough. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I think that's true. Um, I think there's a real problem with the fact that that we have lost perspective on who God is. Um, but I digress. So, so I want to look at an aspect of God that I think is often overlooked or misinterpreted or uh, flat out ignored by the world, and I think in a lot of ways the church. And so I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 6, and I want to read a passage of Scripture, and I think I'm going to take it in a little bit different direction than you think. And I always use a New, New King James Version, so if you've got something a little different, it may read a little different, but just it, it should be close. So... Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. 
And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. And those were mighty men who were men of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Here's where we get to that I want to talk about. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, so I want to talk about something today uh, that you may have heard. You, you may have even heard it in your church. You may have heard it in the world. You may have heard it from people that talk about God and say that they have issues with God. Because the God of the Old Testament is a God of war and a God of judgment. And he's mean and he, you know, he wiped out people with the flood and he commanded Israel to take people out when they were going into Canaan land. And, and one of these days I'll talk about all of that and why that happened. And, and, um, there was a purpose for it. And, and yes, God was right in doing what he was doing. Let me just go ahead and tell you that. Um, but the thought is, is that God somehow, the God of the Old Testament is this mean God and he, and he's the crotchety old curmudgeon, right? He's the grumpy grandpa sitting on the throne with the long white beard and just waiting to pounce on people and strike them dead with lightning. Um, you know, that's, uh, kind of the, the Zeus figure, right? Zeus in Greek mythology was the, he was the main God, the father God, but he was, uh, in Greek mythology and he was the God of lightning. And so when he would, when he would pass down judgment upon people or upon things, he did it through lightning and he would strike them dead and he would do all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's kind of the thought that people get about God, the God of the old Testament. Uh, that he was this guy. And then then came along Jesus and the New Testament. And, and then all of a sudden, somehow, God flipped a switch. Or he uh, somehow was different all of a sudden because Jesus shows up and, and he's all love and he's all good and he's a good moral teacher and, and uh, he helped people and he opened up blinded eyes and and he did all these great things. And, and that's the thought, is that God of the Old Testament is this mean God, and that God of the New Testament somehow, like he had a, like somehow God had a conversion, um, which is so unbelievably blasphemous. I can't even imagine, I, I can't even think I even, or fathom I even just said that. But that's kind of the thought, right? I mean, that's kind of the thought that this was God of the Old Testament, again, the mean, grumpy God who's just waiting to strike people down. And then Jesus came along, and somehow God is now different, changed his mind, and he's a good God and wants everybody to go to heaven, and nobody's going to go to hell. And, and, uh, and there's this dichotomy. There's these two different gods, except for the fact that you come to Genesis chapter 6, and you find a world, and see if this doesn't sound familiar, you found a world that has totally turned its back on God. Uh, the scripture even says that their thoughts were only evil continually. Now, the idea of that is <clears throat> their thoughts are only evil continually is the idea 
not just that they were doing evil. They were pursuing evil. They were looking for ways. They were trying to invent ways to become more evil or to do more corrupt things or to do more evil or however you want to say it. Um, You know, there's this old saying that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, if you ask historians, true historians, um, necessity is not the mother of invention. Leisure is the mother of invention. Um, The Greek culture, the Roman culture, things that led to their downfall were because they were prosperous. And when they got prosperous, they started thinking of all the different ways that they could satisfy their flesh. And if you study history, the Greeks and Romans came up with some very devious, inventive, creative, I'll give them that, uh, but devious ways to do nothing but satisfy the flesh and to perpetuate, or better word is, pursue evil. And so that's what you have here in Genesis chapter 6. That's the description. That all their thoughts were only on evil continually. They not only did evil, they not only practiced evil, they pursued it. They looked for ways. How can I, you know, they looked for ways because, and and there's a reason for that, is because we as human beings, our flesh is made in such a way that it adjusts. It never really is satisfied. If if you you know if if you have an issue with pain pills, let's say, where one one pill a day will do you for a while, but then your body adjusts and the one pill a day doesn't work, so you got to go to two, and then you know eventually your body will adjust. And and I'm not talking about the pills that that sometimes people have to take because they're in a chronic pain situation. I'm talking about people that are pursuing the rush, the high, right? That that pain pills or a, 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 an illicit drug will give them. And for a while, a certain level will work. But our bodies adjust. And our bodies adjust, especially in the pleasure centers of our brain and the, and, uh, the uh, the endorphins and the dopamine and all that in our brain, it, our bodies adjust to the rush that we get from those hormones that, that are released from our brain, the pituitary gland and all that. It, we get this rush and then our bodies can adjust. And so uh, eventually what once brought us pleasure or once gave us a rush doesn't work anymore because we adjust. And so we have to be pursuing these things. And that's what he's talking about. And that's kind of how we are. Um, it's our human nature because our bodies are created that way. Um, and so you've got this where, where men are, are uh, evil continually. That's what, they're, that's what they're doing. That's what they're trying to do. And that's what they're pursuing. Um, but there's a couple of things in there that I, I think that I, I need to share with you. Uh, verse 3 says, And the Lord God, or the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Um, in the King James, it says strive. In the New King James, it stri- says strive. But that word strive has an interesting uh, uh, definition. Uh, in fact, if you look at older versions of the Bible, older manuscripts, uh, the Septuagint, uh, the Vulgate, uh, the Syriac manuscripts. It doesn't use the word strive. It uses the word abide. 
And so it gives a different connotation on this word strive here. So the word strive, we think when it says that the, you know, the Lord said, I'll not strive with man. Um, when we think strive with man, we think that means fighting against. Uh, but there's two ways to strive with someone. If I were in a wrestling match and I had the person in front of me um, and and he and I or she and I were engaged in a in a conflict and we were wrestling each other, we would be striving with each other. But there's another way of striving with. If I'm on a battlefield and I'm a soldier in an army and I have another soldier beside me and we're on the same team fighting a com- common enemy, then we are striving with each other as in beside each other. And I really think that that's the context of, or the connotation for this word. The Lord God said, I will not always strive with man. It's not the idea of striving against man. It's the idea of striving on our behalf. And so we get the idea here from this verse that God's intent from the very beginning is not to come against us. He's not a crotchety old curmudgeon. He's not, he's not trying to hurt your feelings and, and look for a way to pay, uh, punish you or, or banish you from heaven. That's not his goal. Um, he is fighting for you. He is on your side. And God was for man. It was man that turned his back on God. And that's exactly what you see in Genesis chapter 6, that man, his thoughts were only evil continually. But God, even in that, was still trying to strive with man, and the idea was to get them on the right path, to to keep them from pursuing those things that would hurt themselves and hurt others. Because eventually, can I be honest with you, in our ultimate pursuit of pleasure, in our ultimate pursuit of evil, or self-satisfying, when we pursue that to its fullest extent, we end up living a life that ends up hurting others. You end up living a life that you want to control, dominate, because it's all about you and how you feel, and it's all about your feelings, and and I, I want to be happy because if that's your ultimate goal, in order for me to be happy, then there are going to be things in life that I want, that I think I'm entitled to, that are going to be taken from someone else. If if I as a man decide that I want a woman and, and I need her in order for me to be happy, if I take that to its ultimate goal, it really doesn't matter if the woman agrees or not. If I want her in order to satisfy me because my happiness is my ultimate goal, then I'm going to take her regardless of whether she is uh, 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 consensual in, in whatever it is I want. And God is trying to, because he understands that, because he knows the human heart and the human spirit, and understands that if we take what we want to our ultimate end, then we're going to end up hurting each other. He's striving with us to try to keep us on the right path. He's not striving against us. He's right here beside us. He's trying to, he's trying to walk along beside us and, and keep us on the right path. But man's thoughts were evil, only evil continually. So man kept turning away. Man kept walking away. Except Noah. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, the word found there is an interesting word. 
it doesn't mean you find something that's lost. Uh, if I go out into the woods and, uh, oh, we had a dog that showed up at our church this weekend and out of the blue, out of nowhere. And I go outside on Saturday night storming. The dog came in from the storm and I found a dog that was lost. Uh, if I lose my car keys and I go looking for them and I find them, I find something that's lost. Uh, that's not the, that's not the word here in found. Uh, the word found is the idea of he came upon, meaning it was something that was waiting for him. The life that he lived, the life that he was living, he had grace from the Lord, favor from the Lord waiting on him. And it was there being poured out. When he got up in the morning, there was grace. When he went through the day, there was grace. He kept finding grace everywhere he went. It wasn't something that was lost. It was something there waiting for him. Um, it, it would be as if uh, uh, it would be as if uh, I were to go out and work a job, and when I came home in the evening, there was dinner on the table waiting for me, right, piping hot and steaming, and with a glass of sweet tea or whatever. And I come home, and there it is waiting for me. That's the idea. He found grace everywhere he went. He bumped into it. He got up in the morning. He worked his day. He went to bed at night. Everywhere he went, he was finding grace. It was just there for him. And if you will notice, that is the man who carried on the story because God decided to, because man was evilly, evil continually, uh, God decided we got to do something, right? We got to start over. We need a great reset. Except for there was a man that kept finding the grace that God had. And that's my principle for today. My principle for today is I, I want you to hear me. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I get very passionate and very personal about this stuff. I take it very seriously. Uh, and, and my church will tell you. <laughs> my church will tell you, I'm pretty passionate. Uh, I, I'm pretty emotional. Um, I'm not afraid to cry. Uh, I'm not afraid to, to show my fear. I'm not afraid to show, uh, my hurt. I'm not afraid to show those things. I'm very transparent in front of my church and I'm very transparent about my feelings. And, and so I, I, I want you to understand something that I am very, 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 very passionate about. God is for you. Now, I know you may be going through things in life that it seems like God has turned everything away from you. There are things in your life that it seems like God has somehow pulled his hand back from you. There are things in your life that somehow it seems like that God is, is, ha has forgotten all about you. Believe me, I've been there. Believe me, I've been there. I've been there where I felt like God was a million miles away. Everything in life was coming against me. Nothing was going my way. Uh, I was losing on every turn. And it seemed like that God had completely abandoned me. And I felt like a loser. I felt alone. I felt abandoned. I felt like a failure. I felt like that 
that I would never bounce back. I felt like that I would I would forever be trapped in a dilemma of life and trying to survive. And I felt in a lot of ways that it wasn't my fault. And then I felt in a lot of ways it was my fault. And I went through the whole gambit of emotions. You name it, I experienced it. Blaming God, blaming myself, blaming the world, blaming people that that I felt like had wronged me. And I went through all of that. And I experienced all the emotions that you, you can experience. So I want to tell you, if you feel like that you have, that everything is sour grapes, that everything is wrong, that everything is against you, you feel like that somehow the job's not right, the marriage is not right, the kids aren't right, life is not right, you're not getting the respect that you feel like you deserve, somehow things are 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 somehow not right in your life. Everything is out of kilter and everything is out of whack. Can I tell you, hear my heart, in the midst of that, there is one thing you can count on. God is for you. And if you will hang on, If you will hang on, God's grace will be found. Especially if you're a child of God. God's grace will be found. You'll you'll begin to understand. I, I, I heard something the other day or found something the other day that says when you put God, when you put everything in God's hands, eventually you see God's hand in everything. Listen, lonely person that feels like you don't have a friend in the world. God is for you. Listen, three time loser that you've, that everything you have tried has failed and you're afraid to get up and try again tomorrow. The scripture says that God's mercy is new every morning. And if you wake up in the morning and the sun rises in the morning, then God has a purpose and a goal and a plan for your life. And he is for you. Listen to me, those who feel like you have failed in ministry or failed in life. God is not done. God is for you. And according to what I can read, let's just take this literally. Let's just take Genesis chapter 6 literally. God said, I will not always drive with man, for his years shall be 120. If I take that literally, you've got to live to be at least 120 years old. Before God stops being for you. Now, I'm being kind of silly right here. If you live to be longer than 120, God's still going to be for you. But even if I took it literally, 120 years, he's on your side at least. So unless you're over 120, my friend, God is still for you. 
And according, according to Romans, Scripture says, if God be for you, then who can be against you? Now, let me give a little, let me let me expound on that just a little bit. Let me just talk about that just for a second, because I, I love my Pentecostal brothers, but sometimes we take these verses and, boy, we run with them. God is for you. It doesn't mean you're going to not lose a battle. It doesn't mean you're going to win every battle. But God is still there with you, striving on your side. God is for you. It doesn't mean every day is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're always going to get the promotions. It doesn't mean you're always going to have a million dollars in the bank, and it doesn't mean you'll never be sick in your life. It doesn't mean those things. It means that when you're dealing with poverty, or when you're dealing with abundance, when you're dealing with health, or when you're dealing with sickness, God is right there beside you every step of the way. That's exactly what it means. God is for you. And if God be for you, then who can be against you? What that means, if who can be against you, is that nothing that stands in your way, even death itself, if it comes against you, if it stands in front of you, with God, you will overcome. You'll overcome. Because, you know, I got this thing. I got this thing in front of me called a book. It's a Bible. And uh, the amazing thing about this Bible is it's just like a lot of books. It's got a beginning and it's got an end. And I, I've read it all the way to the end several times. And every time I read it, it says the same thing. It's amazing. I've read this book several times, and every time it says the same thing. We win. We win. In the end, we win. We may not win every battle, but in the end, we win. And so here's here's the... Again, here's the principle. God is for you. His grace is being poured out abundantly. We've just got to open our eyes and see it. We just got to see it. So if you don't get ever anything for the rest of any time you ever listen to me preach or teach or do this podcast or whatever, Will you please, please take it to heart? God is for you. He loves you. He loves you so much that when you were undeserving, he sent his son to die in your place on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. rose again so that we could have life and life abundant. My friend, God is for you. So I want you to understand here's my quote. I want to end with this. I love this quote. It's by a guy, my my favorite author, my favorite author of all time, a guy named Philip Yancey. And it says, grace like water flows to the lowest part. If you are in a position, in a place where you feel like that you are all alone and you're in the lowest part, listen, that's when God's grace, that's where it goes. Grace like water flows to the lowest part. God is for you. Now, I, I want you to understand something. So listen, um, uh, like this or follow this or whatever you, you do, however that works. I'm not all up on the whole technology thing. I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying. But like it, follow it, tell somebody about it. Um, because as I, as I do this, as I dig in, my church will tell you, I love digging into the details, right? I'm kind of a nerd. I am kind of a nerd. 
I'm not kind of a nerd. I'm a big nerd. I am a nerd. Um, but I love digging into the detail. I love getting into the minutia and uh, of the scripture. And as I do that, it's amazing. It, it just astounds me even more. So as I continue to do this, we're going to continue to get into the details and dig deeper. I'm just trying to establish some, you know, this principle thing um, as, as we continue on. Um, so continue to listen. Let's grow together. Like this, follow it, tell somebody about it. And remember, if you're at a low point in your life, you're just at the right point that God's grace can find you wherever you are. Look for it. Look for it. When you get up in the morning, find God's grace. May it be found in your life. Hey, I love you. And uh, uh, if you don't have a home church, find a home church. Get among the body of the body of Christ and the believers in Christ. And let's grow and, and encourage each other. And let's hold on until Jesus comes again. I love you. Talk to you soon. Bye.